Welcome to Awaken to Grace. Today is part two of a sermon called Breakthrough Faith. We are learning lessons from the disciples out of Mark chapter 8 and Mark chapter 9. We're seeing how many of us follow Christ. We believe God for salvation. But when it comes to believing God for daily provisions or believing God to intervene in our lives, many of us lack the faith, just like the disciples did. Well, today we are going to see not only the disciples' reaction, and we're going to go with the disciples up on the Mount of Transfiguration, but then we're going to meet a father, a father who had a boy who no one could help. And the father tells Jesus, if you can do anything, please have compassion on us. And what Jesus does, oh, what lessons we learn. Jesus says, if, if you can believe, all things are possible. And you know how the father responded, as we'll see today? He said, I believe. Help my unbelief. Today, my friend, if you struggle in faith, today, if you feel like you just don't trust God the way you need to trust God, well, my friend, today's sermon is for you. We're going to learn how to pray this amazing prayer. I believe. Help my unbelief. Isn't that very special? In another gospel, Jesus tells Peter, flesh and blood's not revealed this to you. My spirit has revealed this to you. Isn't it something that the men who follow Jesus are just now cluing in to who he is? Do you remember the Syrophoenician woman a couple of chapters ago in chapter, or I should say a couple of weeks ago in chapter 7? She called him Lord in Matthew 15. She called him Lord three times. She called him Son of David. She recognized him as the Messiah before the disciples really did. And this is the first time that it really clicks. Oh, let me tell you, precious friend, there's some of you listening. Hallelujah. Things are beginning to click. You're beginning to see. You're beginning to understand who Jesus really is. God bless you. Amen. And this is Peter's great confession. This is the pivot of the book. Up to this point, the whole Eight chapters, smack in the middle of the 16-chapter book. It leads us to the disciples figuring out who Jesus is. Now, the next eight chapters are going to lead us, the reader, to decide, are we going to follow Jesus? For what does he say in the coming verses here at the end, verses 30 to, I forget where, maybe 36 What does he say? For you must take up your cross and follow me. He says, if you're ashamed of me, I'll one day be ashamed of you. But if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my father. Amen. Now we transition to chapter 9. So follow my thread here. In verses 1 to 10. They watch for the second time Jesus feeding a great multitude. They get into the boat in verses 14 to really 13 to 21. 
and they're complaining that they have no food when they've just watched Jesus feed multitudes. Rather than looking at the supernatural and the spiritual, they're looking at the natural. And then they see the blind eyes open, and then comes their great confession. This is the Messiah. This is, after the la- this is after the man with leprosy, after the paralytic. This is after the man with the withered hand. This is after the silencing of the storm. This is after the Syrophoenician woman, Jairus' daughter, being raised from the dead. This is after the woman with a blood issue. This is after the demoniac man. I mean, come on. But now they get it. Now look at chapter 9. Jesus is going to take his inner three, Peter, James, and John. They're going to take a six-day journey up a mountain. If you're going to take notes, you might find this interesting. Most scholars agree. They believe that this story that's called the Transfiguration happened on Mount Hermon, which is in Israel. It is a very high mountain. About, it's about 10,000 feet above sea level. It overlooks the Jordan River Valley. It overlooks the Sea of Galilee. Most scholars agree that this incident, this occasion, I should say, would would have happened on Mount Hermon. They get to this mountain after six days, and all of a sudden, Jesus is what the Bible calls transformed, transfigured. The Greek word here is actually where we get our English word, a very scientific word, metamorphosis. Now, why is metamorphosis such an important Bible word? Well, I want you to get the image. The Bible says that Christ in all of his glory is transfigured. The Bible says that his clothing His linens became so white that no one on earth could have bleached them that white. It was supernatural. I love this word transfigured, transformed, metamorphosis, because it is the same word that's used in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And what does that say? Now say amen if you're with me right now. Listen to what it says. It says, Brethren, I appeal to you by the mercies of God that you present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service or your true spiritual worship is what that means. Not conforming to the image of this world, but here's our word, but being transformed by the renewing of your minds that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. What What does this mean? In Peter's epistle, he refers back to the Mount of Transfiguration, and what he says is even if you were to hear the audible voice of God, which they heard that day on the mountain. Do you know what Peter says? The Word of God, 
The prophetic word of God, he calls it, is a more sure word in your life. What does that mean? That means that God wants to take his eternal word and he wants to absolutely change your life. He wants to absolutely transform you. It means metamorphosis, a complete and total transformation. Amen. The word picture is a caterpillar. Oh, it's about to come summertime, isn't it? And what are we going to start to see? Furry, ugly, earthbound caterpillars. How many of you just remember stepping on them as a kid? Ugh. And they're ugly, aren't they? Not very appealing, are they? And they're earthbound. But what happens? They go into a cocoon. And in that cocoon is an extremely painful process. And it's called metamorphosis. And what happens in the metamorphosis? All of a sudden, that thing begins to get changed. And what happens? What was an earthbound caterpillar becomes a heavenbound butterfly. Amen? And right now, you don't know what's going on, but let me tell you what's going on. God is transforming you by the power of his word. And you're wondering why your desires are changing. You're wondering why your thoughts are changing. <laughs> You're wondering why you can't sin like you used to sin. You're wondering why you don't love your sin anymore. You're wondering why things are starting to bother you all of a sudden. My friend, God is transforming you. Amen. <sighs> By the renewing of your mind. Hallelujah. Let God do his perfect work in you. Let God change you. Let the word have its full effect in you. Amen. So back to Mount Hermon. <laughs> Christ is transfigured. Well, Peter, they're all terrified, the Bible says. Because guess who joins Christ? This is crazy. Guess who joins him? Moses and Elijah. Now, these are major biblical ramifications. Moses representing the law of the Old Covenant. Elijah representing the prophets of the Old Testament. So think for a moment in terms of past. Moses the law. Elijah the prophets. What did Christ come to do? He came to fulfill the law and all the prophets. He came to make the old covenant obsolete and make a new and a better covenant for God's people. Now, why was it Moses and Elijah? Oh, I've got a hunch. Can I tell you my hunch? Now, you know, a lot of times I share my opinion, and I try to tell you my opinion is not Bible, right? It's not a belief. It's just an opinion. You can decipher the difference, right? Well, let me tell you my hunch. I've shared with you for weeks why I believe Peter wrote the book of God, the Gospel of Mark, but let me give you further evidence, I think. <laughs> if you think in past tense, Moses the law, Elijah the prophets, now think in future tense. When we went through our massive study of Revelation 
And we came to the two witnesses that are going to come on the scene during the seven-year tribulation. And let me just say, no, can I take a 60-second rabbit trail? What in the world is Russia doing right now? Let me tell you what they're doing. Don't be deceived and don't be fooled. It all has to do with Israel, every inch of it. And globally, what, what is it has to do with oil? You watch. You watch and see. And it has to do with climate change. And what did we say in the Revelation series? If you missed the Revelation series, just go back and binge it. What did we say in the Revelation series? What is going to be the God? What is going to be the religion of the world during the seven-year tribulation period? Climate change. And there's going to be a link to oil, I believe, going sky high. Why? So that they can move their agenda of climate change even further. It's all predicted in the book of Revelation. And Ezekiel 38 says that God is going to put a hook in their jaw. And you watch what happens. Now, why am I getting off into all this? Because in Revelation, during the seven-year tribulation, there were two witnesses that come. Do you know who we believe those two witnesses are? Moses and Elijah. Now, let me tell you what I thought about this week. And I never thought about it until this week. (sighs) Amen. Help me, Lord. Help me to get it all out. My mind is going 100 miles an hour right now. All right, Chad. Slow it down. When the text says in Mark 9 that they conversed with Jesus, what that means in the Greek, the tense in the Greek language there, it means a long conversation, okay? So this wasn't a 10-minute appearance. This wasn't a 60-minute appearance. I, I don't know how long it was, but the Greek tells us, the tense of the verb says, this was a prolonged conversation. Well, let me tell you what I never knew. (laughs) When Peter writes his epistles and he writes concerning the last days, how did Peter know everything that he wrote? That the earth is going to be done away with, that the elements are all going to dissolve, that God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. How did he know all of that? Because guess what they talked about on the Mount of Transfiguration? Luke chapter 9 tells us that what the discussion was about was the departure of Christ and the things that must come. What are the things that must come? I have no doubt they talked about the witnesses of the last days, the days that you and I are hurtling toward. Whoo! Amen. And if you'll read the Bible, it is more current than tomorrow's news. Let me ask you a question. Why does it say in Ezekiel 30, this will be the last thing I said, and then we'll move on. Here's my point. They talked about eschatology, the last days, the end of times. This is what they talked about on the Mount of Transfiguration, Luke 9. Why does it say, and let me show you how accurate the Bible is. Why does it say in Ezekiel 38, 
that Persia is going to be in alliance with the most extreme north of Israel. Do you realize that Ezekiel... Oh, I, I, I can't get off into all of this. Do you realize that Ezekiel 38 calls Israel the center of the earth? Now, friends, how could they have known that three, 4,000 years ago? And what is to the extreme north of Israel? You take, you take Israel and you draw a line up, and what is to the uttermost north of it? Russia. And Scripture says that Russia and its leader, Gog, is going to have an alliance with Persia. Do you know who Persia is in the Bible? 35 times the Old Testament talks about Persia in the Bible. It's Iran. Did you know that Iran was called Persia until 1939? And it's all predicted. And the world, let me tell you, the stage is set. And what does the Bible tell us to do? Look up for your redemption is drawing nigh. The Bible says encourage one another with these words. Amen. So now they're going to come down from most likely Mount Hermon from this transfiguration experience. Jesus tells them, don't say anything about this until I've gone. And again, they just could not wrap their heads around. They could not fathom Jesus being killed. They just, they weren't there yet. Then they come up on a scene. There's an argument going on with the other disciples and the Pharisees, and there's a big commotion. The Bible says verses 14 to 29 is where we're going to wrap up today. In verse, so Jesus comes on the scene, and there's a father, a desperate father. He has a boy, a son, who has an unclean spirit in him. Somewhere, this boy had this demonic influence. It threw him into fires. It threw him into convulsions. Jesus had compassion on him. And Jesus asked the father, how long has he been this way? He said, since, since he was a child. In other words, uh, we, don't, we don't know how this happened. And the most remarkable thing, Lord, right now, Lord, give us ears to hear. Give us ears to hear this, Lord. The most remarkable thing happens. The man says something to Jesus that the majority of us talk this way. The man says something to Jesus that even though you're a Christ follower, even though you're a Christian, even though you believe the Bible and even though you sing the songs, you still speak this way. The man said, if you can do anything, have compassion on us. I want you to write this down if you're taking notes because this is the premise of the day. While this man's heart was in the right place, his faith was in the wrong place. And there's some of you listening today, this is exactly where you are. Your heart is in the right place, but your faith is in the wrong place. And I want you to look at the response of Jesus. Verse number 23, I want you to look at how Jesus responds to him. If, <laughs> I would have loved to have heard Jesus' tone here. 
but I can feel it through the text. He, it's as though Jesus is saying, excuse me, if you... <laughs> Friends, we're talking to the Creator. And he says, if... Jesus says, no, if you can believe, then all things are possible to those who can believe. And do you know what this man says? You're talking about a course correction. Hallelujah. I want you to look at verse 24. Look what he says. Here's our word. Here's our word. Retrace all through the book. What's the word? Immediately. Ethos in the Greek. What do we say? 45 times the word immediately is found in the book of Mark. And immediately, what did the man cry out? I believe, help my unbelief. Amen. Do you see the difference between this father and the professional Christians, the disciples of Jesus? Do you see his humility to say, I do believe Jesus, but help my unbelief? You know what he's saying? He's saying, I've believed as far as I can. Take me the rest of the way. Oh, what a great prayer to pray. Let me tell you, my friends. Let me tell you the difference. I don't want to be like the disciples in chapter 8, verse 21. That I've put limits on God. No, I want to be like this poor father. Who I may not have it all together. And I may not have every answer. And I may not know it all. And I may have questions. I may, but listen, what I want to say, I believe God help my unbelief. I've gone as far as I can. Take me the rest of the way. I don't want to put any limits on God. Are you putting limits on God today? Are you looking to the natural, even though you're following Jesus? Or are you looking to the supernatural? Have you believed that Jesus has saved your soul, forgiven your sins, but you can't believe he can heal your body? You don't believe he can't fix your marriage? You don't believe that he can't break that addiction? You don't believe that Jesus can walk right into your mess and help you? Oh, what little faith we sometimes have. We who follow Jesus. Forgive my unbelief, Lord. I don't want to believe you for salvation, but not trust you for provisions. I don't want to believe you for my eternity and not trust you for right now, this day, this week, this month. Forgive my limits that I've put on you. Why don't you pray right now? Where have you limited God? Do you say, well, I know God can, but... Or do you say, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Do you see the difference?
you see the difference? I believe. Help my unbelief. Do you use a streaming device at home or at work? Simply say, hey Google, play Awaken to Grace with Chad Roberts podcast and listen to our weekly podcast that is the current sermon that I preach each week at Preaching Christ Church.